0: Motivation through the winter. How do you stay motivated and any any pointers for the people listening?
1: You know, we can't wait for weather windows. You either do or you don't when it comes to training in the winter.
2: I love running in the dark, it makes it feel like an adventure for me even doing like an easy take here. Of- Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. We have a bit of momentum going here, which is great. It's been pretty pretty enjoyable after each episode to take a bit of time to think about how the conversation went and then be able to talk again about any new conclusions that come to mind with a little bit of thinking space. So in the first episode, we spoke about desires and whether or not we felt that they might actually hinder rather than help and actively choosing goals might be a more effective way to go. James and I didn't completely agree on this one, I don't think, but we definitely came close when we realised that many of the best things in our lives didn't manifest due to our strong desire for them, but actually in spite of our desires. In the next episode then, we wanted to talk more about how to go about setting these goals and how best to handle any setbacks along the way. So in this episode, we thought it'd be great then to talk about how best to set yourself up for a successful winter training period. We thought you'd probably heard enough of just James and I, so we invited someone to join us for this discussion, someone who is well-versed in training and racing through winter. This person also recently joined the Pylon coaching team, and we're delighted she has. If you're involved in any way in the UK ultra running scene, we're certain you'll already know her. That is, of course, Debbie Consani. Debbie is currently training for the spine race, which she'll be tackling again for the second time, so knows a thing or two about maintaining momentum and training when it's much more difficult to get out there and train with bad weather, limited daylight and trails that aren't half as fun as they are in summertime. So I think that's enough of an introduction here is the next episode of the Pylon Ultra Pod. <laughs>
0: Debbie, Welcome, I get to do hosting duties today as opposed to answering all the questions and getting turned round in circles by Paul's questions and thoughts. So it's really nice to be on this side of the conversation today and frankly, given we're talking about training in the winter, probably not two better people to go through that conversation. As Paul talked a bit about in the intro, Debbie's done the spine. Paul, you've been out in Chamonix for a wee while, so you know what it's like to be in knee-deep snow trying to do intervals. I guess. Yeah. Um. So welcome both of you. Um. First of all, Debbie, congrats on joining the coaching team at Pylon. Um. you I guess you'll bring loads and loads of diverse views and experience into that team. Lots of insight, and we can talk about about your race history as we go through this. But how are you feeling about your foray into coaching?
1: um first of all hi to you both and thank you very much for having me on um I guess I'm a little bit nervous and apprehensive but you know what it's an amazing opportunity and it would be uh, a bit strange if I wasn't nervous about it um I have been a qualified coach for a couple of years now so I have been helping out a few a few people in their ultra journeys and I also coach some very fast teenagers at my running club so it's just a bit of a a side step, but a little bit something that's a bit more structured and formal rather than what i have been doing so um
0: yeah it's quite exciting oh i look forward to catching up with you on the, the coaches calls and all the chat and paul you've you're back in the uk but you've spent a bit of time in chamonix over the last couple of months and um, some epic
2: pictures mountains snow skis how was that for you <laughs> it was fun uh december in chamonix you don't normally get Like a decent snowfall until maybe just before Christmas Day, uh, certainly towards the end of December, but maybe three weeks ago we got this huge dump of snow, probably snowed for about three days. We maybe had, where I live anyway, we probably had at least a metre of snow. Uh, It was pretty full on. I don't think anybody was really expecting it, so uh, it takes a couple of days to get things organised. Roads, I spent a day probably shoveling snow just to dig out the car and keep the driveway clear and stuff, um, and then get back into... The only way I can really effectively train when it gets that deep until things, the trails get tracked out, you get lots of um, snowshoers and stuff will go on the lower trails and Sham and they get kind of tracked out so it flattens all the snow down and you can tend to run on those for a while but it takes a takes a few days for that to happen. Uh, But I got my skis back out and uh, none of the lifts were open initially. I don't have a lift pass this year anyway, but I can ski uphill, ski down, ski uphill again, ski down. So it's actually quite a good workout. So it's fun. Takes a bit to get used to it again, James. It feels like a bit of a faff, getting your kit ready and trying to remember what you're doing. But um, yeah, I was just in the groove when I had to come back again. So, yeah. It's
0: funny you say that because I set myself a challenge every morning when I got up to be out the door within 15 minutes of getting out of bed. Yeah. I just don't see you being able to do that with those conditions. Yeah. <clears throat> so we're going to have a, a nice conversation today about training in winter. Um, and there's a number of things I want to cover off. I've got a long list of things. I'm not going to say them here because there will be some smart people who'll check it off as we go through the list. But I've got a, a little list of things I'd love to cover off and make sure that we prompt some ideas some tips hints and just some thoughts for our people out there that are listening to the podcast so slightly different from the conversations we've had in the past and i'm going to start with the first and obvious question is is when you're training through the winter it's usually with something in mind so debbie we've already touched on the fact you're training for the spine do you want to not everyone will know what that is you just want to talk a wee bit about what that is and what it entails and what it means to you in terms of training through winter uh yeah i
1: mean a lot bit little bit about the spine race it is the 268 miles of the pennine way um it starts uh usually around about mid january um it has a reputation of being absolutely miserable <laughs> um <but laughs> it also uh yeah it takes a special kind of crazy for people to sign up for it and i was always of the uh, i'll just watch dots for quite some years um and i enjoyed following the race like people who don't even like running like following the spine race like my colleagues and neighbors and everyone who have absolutely no interest in running um were following the spine race so i think it just grabs people's interest and attention and um but yeah i had no interest in doing it because it did look like utter misery um and then i found myself signing up for it and uh signing up for it again so um (laughs) Yeah, it does take a special kind of crazy to do it, but it it's quite magical. Um I did think I would just be miserable the whole time and um the highs definitely outweighed the lows. Um the lows were probably the lowest I've ever been in my life, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um but it is quite a magical race and it's such an amazing uh, experience and such a phenomenal achievement even just to complete it so it's quite nice just to go out on your own little personal journey and you're not competing against people it's me versus me, it's my head versus my heart mm. Um, just to get to the end so it's quite nice to do something like I completely forgot I was in a race half the time I actually completely forgot my name half the time I was so, <laughs> so wasted Um, but uh, it's quite it's quite an amazing experience
2: Brilliant. and I
1: think it'll be tougher to go back and do it a second time because I don't have that overwhelming drive just to finish it so it'll be interesting to see um how it goes but i do think mentally it'll be tougher going back for a second
0: mm. yeah go i heard, heard you talking time. about that and misery and all that stuff and i'm thinking so well so why would you go back but hey that's day before you i guess yeah it's like yeah this was terrible let's do it again
1: yeah i mean anyone can do it once but can you
0: do it twice well exactly <laughs> exactly no
1: not really not really um yeah i'm still trying to work out why i'm doing it again but yeah here
0: mm. we go Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll do some therapy with you on this particular <laughs> podcast. And Not Paul, sure. what, what's keeping you going during the winter?
2: Uh, I'm uh, just training really for a return to racing. It's been a long time since I've raced obviously with all the lockdowns and stuff. I'm probably taking a trip back to the US uh, to a race that I've done before um, early in the year. So I'm just getting back into a higher training workload until... I drive back to Scotland. Obviously, I'm pretty tired and I'm not allowed out now, so um, uh, it was going well, uh, but I'll pick up again by the weekend. Obviously, I guess probably the end to end trail probably took a wee bit out of me, or a wind it takes a bit of wind out your sails. You kind of think, Well, what am I going to do next, and how am I going to get that feeling of doing something that's kind of epic again? Um, and races like that don't obviously come around quickly, so um, I'm looking forward to getting back to normal racing albeit it will be pretty epic as well i think um and just i think it's an important time to just get back into the routines of training well and making sure you've got your kit sorted for for training through winter and stuff
0: indeed indeed and i know you're you're obviously back in the uk and you you have to stay indoors um for a period um and isolate but you do live in a house that's got more than one floor right so there's no excuse for doing stair reps you can you know like that's what my coach would say to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's get into the meat of this. One, one of the big things we see happening during the winter, um, certainly even in and of ourselves, is how to stay motivated through the winter. Races can be months away. You know, like the spring marathon, it's like, oh, it's 18 weeks away. I don't need to worry about it. Or even a bit further, if it's the West Highland Way race, it's June. Um, and it's really easy for people to lose focus in the winter. And I don't think people understand the impact that can have because you need to make that ground back up before you then start building back up for the, the event you're going for. So, Debbie, motivation through the winter. How do you stay motivated and any, any pointers for the people listening?
1: Yeah, I mean as you know we live in we live in Scotland so we can have any kind of winter you know the fluctuations can go from like minus 15 to plus 15 and you can have a storm and you can have snow and you can have ice and you can have everything um but that's like any day of the year to be honest and uh you know we can't wait for weather windows you either do or you don't when it comes to training in the winter um i think sometimes it would probably be easier to manage your expectations um when it comes to winter training because the external factors have such a significant impact on your training. So sometimes like if I'm going out in the winter and I know it's windy then I won't focus so much on splits and times. Um it's more like effort. Uh sometimes I try to work with the wind and try and find a tailwind, but as we know there's no such thing as a tailwind ever. Um or even just focus on hill reps if it's windy rather than just looking at tempos and intervals. I think it's just managing your expectations um, or even use the winter months to focus on quality rather than quantity. So you can knock back some of those junk miles and focus on, you know, park runs or cross country or all those really fun things that people like to do. Um, so I just think there's the winter months, you could do things a little bit different and you probably have to manage your expectations and manage your time a little bit better um I don't like doing intervals and rep sessions in the dark Paul will tell you this um I really struggle in low light from my eyesight and I get nervous that I'm going to trip and fall Mm. so um you know if I'm doing something I try to do it during daylight hours which can be quite a struggle so I've just got to manage my time as well as my expectations a little bit differently in the winter but you know the motivation and the commitment's always there um I'm just probably a little bit kinder to myself in
0: the winter months. That That's interesting because what you're doing is you're, you're reevaluating your relationship in real time with what you're trying to achieve in the moment and taking into account those external factors. And a, a couple of things popped out and, and on on the back of what you were talking about there, Debbie. One, you just reminded me when you said cross country, congrats on being Scottish Athletics poster girl. I noticed you were on their um their social feed the other day. <laughs> I'm probably the
1: only one that smiles for the cameras.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, also you didn't look like you were um you, you didn't look like you were enjoying that not so much you didn't look like you were enjoying, but that hill that you were about to come to looked like it, it was a uh, how muddy is this and am I going to go in my bakuki? <laughs> because um, um, I I heard it was quite muddy but yet mud didn't stick at Ballot Country Park for whatever reason
1: mm-hmm. It's quite a special kind of uh, experience cross country, it's definitely the hardest you'll work for the um the little output that <laughs> you see, <laughs> you look at your splits and you're like Really, my <laughs> yeah. heart rate was that high from that pace.
0: Um, oh dear, yeah.
1: I, I cross country is not my forte. Not, I, I like doing it. I like being part of the club, and it's you know I don't get to see my club mates very often because I don't train very often with them. So it's just it's a really nice experience, and you know it's hard for everyone who's doing it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not my thing. Um, I'm amazed at the speed that people can move over mud. Unfortunately, I wasn't blessed with such a gift.
0: And But it's a good example, though, isn't it? That that social aspect helps with the motivation, helps keeps you connected, oh, Running yeah, for the best you want to perform. And do you do you think, Debbie, for people who are like, we're in, we're in the middle of December or approaching the end of December, races, as I said, can be quite far off. Do you think it's really good for people to have bridging goals at this time of year, whether it's a race in the near future or a time trial or some sort of, just some sort of mini goal, micro goal that will help them stay focused on the, the next three, four, five weeks of training?
1: Yeah, I think people should have goals at all times. Um, even if it's just a goal to rest and recover or focus on your nutrition or do some yoga or strength work, it's, um, I think it's always, well, for me, I always like to have little goals that I'm working towards. And Yeah, I suppose in the winter, you can adapt those goals a little bit differently.
0: And does chocolate for breakfast and Christmas morning count as a goal?
1: Is that
0: not Uh but I, I just want to check. <laughs> I just want to check because um, I can tick that one off. um, And... The other, the other thing that came out when you were talking there, Debbie, was um, really, really strongly is about the, the willingness and knowing that it's okay to adapt constantly. And what was interesting, you weren't just talking about adapting to the conditions, but you were talking about maybe even adapting the session because there might be some other external factor that means that. For example, you know, the ice might mean that you have to take a different route or, or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And, and do you think sometimes people can sometimes have a I don't know what to use the phrase love hate relationship with adapting, but can be seen like if I have to not do the thing that was in a plan or what I intended doing that's a that's a weak thing, but rather it's actually a good thing to adapt to because you get the most out of that moment.
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's it's safe to say that we don't always have or never have optimal conditions and optimal experiences, you know. Um so it is good to look at things differently and maybe do things differently. I know, like, last year we had a lot of ice. Um, So I like to run early in the morning, especially during the week, and that wasn't possible. And it kind of throws out my day and throws out my week. And um, But, yeah, I've just got to fit it in somewhere else. And sometimes you've just got to be a little bit more creative. Um. So, yeah, I think it's a good time to adapt things and look at doing things differently that's not necessarily stick into what's rigidly on the plan because sometimes there's not always going to be that optimal conditions that you're going to have to do your intervals or your easy run or whatever it is.
0: Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. I suppose that brings me onto the the next point. And for people not from the UK or even the Northern Hemisphere listening to this, some context, I think it was last year or the year before, it was warmer on Christmas Day in Scotland than it was on something like the 1st of June. (laughs) You know... (laughs) Um, And that gives you an idea of how temperate the weather can be because we can have really warm days where it's shots in the vest in December, but then you can be minus 10 and it's knee-deep snow as well. So the weather just can move really wildly across Scotland at this time of year. And actually, even in the same day, the old four seasons in one day thing definitely comes out. Um, So, Paul, winter kit, what should people have available for days on the trails? What, What, you know... What what's the the must haves to be able to successfully train through the winter?
2: well, uh, like, obviously it helps having half decent kit. I mean, we don't have to run out there and spend money every year to get new winter kit or anything. But I would tend to make sure you've got some decent base layers and you've got the right kind of kit for the types of conditions that you're going to go out in. Because it just it does make things slightly easier when you know you're going out there and your waterproof jacket is up to the wind and the the rain that's out there. And there's nothing that's perfect, obviously, but um, if you've got some really good fitting uh, kit that works well for you, it does make your training much easier. Actually, I think I think it can be a really enjoyable time for training. For me, when I think back over the years, it was actually a time for me to switch off a wee bit because I was constantly feeling pressured to be at a certain place in my training, you know, six weeks out or eight weeks out or ten weeks out or two weeks out from a race. And that pressure is kind of lifted a little bit. The danger is some people just switch off and decide not to train at all for two weeks and they think I'll take take a bit of time back and it's fine to be a bit more relaxed about things but they're two weeks off then runs into Christmas and they're like well there's no point starting now I'll start back you know at New Year and then it's the first week back in New Year and they haven't quite started then because they're back to work and back into a routine and then they've actually in reality they've lost a month of training. They're really disciplined and high-performing athletes have already had a really good base period along there and yes they can change plans and change sessions and you're maybe not doing the same intensity you're definitely not doing the same volume but they've already built that really important base and they're already you know four weeks ahead of other people and then when you get into week two in january people are like oh actually my race is only 10 weeks away or it's 12 weeks away and it all becomes very close then And then people start to panic and they try to do too much and and then other things can happen in their training. So I think it can be a really enjoyable period as long as you're you're re-establishing some routines and you're getting yourself out there. And it's fine if you can't do intervals because it's icy or you have to cut your long run short because the weather's so terrible and you went up some hills and you were blown off the top or whatever, then it's fine. Um, But making sure you're keeping things ticking over is quite important. From my side of things and from all the evidence that I've seen working with athletes over the last seven years. So in terms of kit, like for me, it's all about my extremities. I need good mitts. I get, <laughs> I get really cold hands, so I only really wear mitts in winter. Gloves don't really work for me. And I need to keep my feet warm as well. I hate having freezing cold feet. Um, so uh, having your fingers in one space of a mitt makes a big difference to me. I've got a good insulated mitt, and then I'll put some waterproof over mitts on top as well if it's wet and then if it gets a bit warmer or it's drier, you can take off the overmits, you can even wear them without the insulated part if you want, um, so that's a good option. For feet, running in deep snow is tricky, obviously, and your feet get really cold really quickly, um, footwear's important, we don't get masses of snow in Scotland that we need to run through, I don't think, unless you're going into the mountains, or we have just, you know, what was it called again, the beast from the, the beast east and <laughs> so on <laughs> uh, unless that happens um i've got some shoes that have got like a waterproof outing and a zip that go right over your ankle which are quite handy uh, but in scotland they're less handy if you're in bogs because they just fill up water and then you're running about and uh, filled up wellies which isn't so good Um i will sometimes wear my ski socks if it's really cold and then i discovered at cape Wrath with graham these really um I think they're half a mil thick neoprene socks, which I put over the top of my normal socks. And they're amazing. They don't keep your feet dry. Your feet get wet, but it's like a wetsuit then. So then that layer of water starts to warm and your feet stay pretty warm. Um, So I use them quite a lot. They've been really good. I've never heard of that before,
0: neoprene socks, for over Uh, your socks. I I put them over my socks, yeah. I had
1: lightweight merino socks, and then I had the... the waterproof socks on top of them, the knee-length ones. Oh, the deck shell ones? Or whatever? And, You're uh, a big fan of yeah, those, aren't you? I, I, I not I don't want to wasn't... name a brand yeah. here. No, it's okay. You
2: can name a brand.
1: The deck shell socks and also the seal skin ones. Yeah. Um, they're, really, they're really great. Um, I learned the hard way, though, that you need to put waterproof trousers on top because if your leggings get wet, the water just rolls down the leggings yeah. into the socks and therefore pulls yeah. because the water doesn't dispel. Um, but I never had a single problem with my feet and the spine raise. Uh Even the medics were amazed that I had no blisters or hot spots. Um, and I, I think it was just putting down good foot care and using those work socks. And um, my feet—I don't remember them being particularly cold at any point. And you know, my feet were submerged in the water for five days. Um, so yeah, I, I rate them. I think they're really good. Yeah, I, I really
0: feel like a, a challenge for Debbie there, Paul is. is I'd like to see you paint your nails before the next spine and see a before and after pitch a uh, picture. Um, and just the, um, that could be the ultimate advert for what you've just talked about. It's like, yeah, hey, five days in bogs and whatever brand. Of, My feet uh, were polishes. huge
1: though. <laughs> <The other laughs> like little fat baby feet at right. the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. But even going back to what Paul said, obviously the mitts and keeping your fingers as close together is best for them. Um,
2: for heat but you know a good pair of socks on your hands also works a treat. yeah yeah i've had to put buffs on my hands before because it's the only thing i've had with me a pair of socks just yeah they're
1: mitts yeah
0: i'm the same i can deal with the cold anywhere except in my fingers once that happens utter misery i just want out of there you know it's the 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 one thing that gets me although i didn't actually make the connection about mitts keeping the fingers closer together therefore actually really helps i just hadn't made that connection so you live and you yeah, learn really every does. day. Yeah, for sure. So, Debbie, what bit of winter kit can you not live without? You know, you're, you're training for the spine, you're regularly up on up in the trails and in, in the hills, maybe not up on top of the Munro's often at this time of year, but certainly up quite high. Um, yeah. what, what do you have to have with you to stay both safe uh, and warm? It really
1: depends on what the weather conditions are like, because, you know, if it's wet and wild and windy i need different clothing than if it's really cold and crisp and um but like paul says i'm a big fan of mitts and um, we've already discussed um the waterproof knee lines waterproof socks if it's boggy and wet um i think they're great you know buffs like you talked about everyone needs at least three buffs when they're going out in the hills um but, you know, there's a couple of things that if I was going out for a long day, if I was training for the spine, um, I would have all the above. And then, you know, a good waterproof, probably a thin waterproof as well. But I would also have, like, an emergency bivvy bag mm. that I take everywhere I go. You know, they're like the size of an apple, um, but it might just save your life. Um, I've also learned the hard way that you should definitely carry a battery pack and some chargers for your phone or your watch or whatever you're using um or even for a head torch um so they're the kind of essential things that i would always take regardless of how long the run is because sometimes i'm out by myself in quite remote areas so um there's a yeah those things as well as like things that you're going to wear there's other kit things that you need to carry as well
0: have you ever been caught out there with declining light and no
1: oh i could write a book james
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could i could write volume two <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Bearing in mind that my husband Marco was in the mountain rescue, he suddenly uh, despairs of some of the things that I've been caught out on. I think nowadays I'm a bit more um, along in the tooth when it comes to these things, but maybe about ten years ago, um, I made all the classic mistakes. I got, my, I got myself into positions I don't even know how I got out of. So you know, but um, the best stories are the ones you survive. That's what I always say. <laughs> well,
0: I'm sure Marco agrees.
2: <laughs> and,
0: and what about you paul what's the one thing you would always make sure you've got with you this time of year
2: uh, it's pretty boring but i always wear like a base layer under my tops or whatever i i hate being cold um and i've got these like really thin base layers from uh compressport make them and i just don't like to have any skin exposed or i get freezing like you know when your top maybe rides up at the back or something when your pack um, so I always wear like a base layer in winter, uh, no matter what, even if I'm skiing or uh, running is good. I don't always take a head torch and I should because uh, you get those little tiny bindies and stuff like that from Petzl and mm. you should just chuck them in because I have been caught out a few times and it's never never good when you run out of light and maybe your phone doesn't have enough battery, f- even for the torch on that, uh, it can happen quite easily. And um, I actually noticed the other day, Debbie, I don't know what head torch you'll be using in um, at the spine. But one of the new Petzl ones, I don't normally use them, but I bought one of the thingy ones. Can't remember the name of them. Uh, but actually see in temperatures of like minus five, it's half the battery life, probably yeah, less than do. half the battery life. It's insane. Um, it's probably had it You've on for to, an hour and, uh, and a half. They've got,
1: they have like an extension so yeah. that you can carry the, back, the battery pack mm-hmm. inside your pocket or... Um, But even like phones and watches and stuff, the battery life does not the same when they get cold.
2: No, and I think people forget that, don't they? I think the new phones
1: are a bit different, but yeah, if you've got your phone in your front pocket and it's exposed and it's not covered, um, you know, the battery life can really drain quite quickly on that. I'm not quite sure how it is with new phones, but I remember like a few years ago, like you didn't have your phone in your pocket and the battery would just die on you. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why i do carry a battery pack and chargers for the various things that i've got but um it's always good to have these things and they don't weigh anything you know i've got a little tiny charger that might charge a phone twice if you're lucky but it's really important to have that
0: yeah 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 that'll come on to some of the stuff i want to talk about when we talk about staying safe through the winter um but before before we get to that and paul you touched on it a wee bit it's okay to adapt your session if the weather's rubbish don't run as long if it's icy, you know, you don't do the intervals and fundamentally we're about being able to go day after day. So you shouldn't be putting yourself at reckless risk of injury or not yeah. being able to continue because you're trying to fire out five minute miles along a canal towpath, but it's like an ice rink. Um, <clears throat> but what do you do if the weather, you've got an elongated period of garbage weather, you don't have access to say a treadmill and you can't get out there. What, what options are there to, you know, at least keep some sort of activity going through the winter, what would you recommend people do? Um, You're asking me? Yeah, Paul, you go first. All right, sorry.
2: Um, I was thinking um, about that, actually, and what I used to do, when I lived in Scotland through winter, um, sometimes you knew the weather was going to be terrible, and normally I would drive somewhere and get into the mountains, even in winter, or at least some trails, um, but occasionally you're just like, I don't know if I can face it today. It's really windy and tired, but I need to do my long run. Actually I would um decide to take a run into Glasgow, right? So it was like eight miles into Glasgow. I'd put a pack on, I'd say, Right, okay, I'm gonna go and do my long run, maybe some music. Um, i put a pack with like a change of top and stuff in it. I'd take my wallet and my phone. Um, and then I'd run into Glasgow, I'd run around a few sites and some nice places, I'd run to get somewhere to eat, and I'd go into, I would normally stop at um, Stereo in the West End, where Ian works, big shout out Ian, Um, and I'd I'd go into the toilets, change my top, sit and have some lunch, and then I'd get back out again, and I'd run a bit more around Glasgow, maybe stop at a shop and check out some gear, uh, and then maybe pick something up for dinner, and then run home, and I actually felt like a a really different change and it actually felt like you were doing something that was a wee bit of an adventure alright it's in a city and I don't normally run in cities and stuff but actually it was quite good fun you just run about and you see some different sites and it doesn't feel like you're you're out there getting blown off a mountain. Um, and I used to quite enjoy that. I would do that once every few months, maybe, just for a bit of a change. And that could be something that's worth doing and just take your time about it and stop and have a coffee if you want. Um, and it helps if you've got a change of clothes that so you can get warm again before you go back out. But that was one top tip from me, really.
0: Interesting. So you basically combine your social shopping and city, city sightseeing with a, uh-huh. um, for a full day out. Uh, interesting. Uh-huh. Debbie, what about you?
1: Um, Well, I suppose quite similar to Paul, except I actually live quite close to the city centre in Glasgow and I I think I explored every single street in the city centre (laughs) during lockdown. Um, And I think people are sick of seeing my pictures of street art, as, you know, I'm I'm obsessed with street art. Um, uh, I just think, uh, yeah, going to find a route that's probably going to be easier to run on if you can drive to it, but even having... Um, you know the, the spikes for your shoes, and probably having spikes for pavements and spikes for off-road stuff. Um, you know, probably buying them in October and not waiting till the first sign of black ice, and then realizing that everyone wants them. Um, so I've always got those handy. Um, or even if it's snowy or icy, you know, just going to like a park or finding some local playing fields that you can run around mm-hmm. as well. Um, there's very few times where I wouldn't find an alternative, or just suck it up and just
2: go on with it i think friends help a lot as well debbie and i know you run with people quite a lot and that kind of keeps you committed doesn't it when you when you agree with someone on a friday that you're going to meet them at seven o'clock on a saturday you don't really care about the weather then you're like right okay i've committed to it i'm going to go out and going for a run with friends at least you're chit-chatting you're having some fun the weather yeah. might be terrible but it kind of passes in. it's quite good especially if you've got friends who bring wraps and warm soup makes a big difference for me getting back to the car <laughs> especially if i've not made it
1: it does yeah mm-hmm. but i just think for me personally on my training i've got windows when i can run so i know every day of the week that on a tuesday i'm going to run at that time mm. on a thursday i'm running at that time on a saturday i'm doing the early shift marco's doing the Saturday. and do you know what it doesn't matter what the weather's like it's, it's irrelevant there's no even point looking out the window because that is my window to run and regardless of what the weather's like that's when i'm going mm. um I'm quite unfazed by most weather. I don't particularly enjoy wind, but nobody does. No. But I don't mind the cold. I don't mind it if it's raining. I don't mind if it's muddy, um, because I just run in all conditions. So you just get used to it. And plus, you know, you can't pick and choose what your weather's going to be like on race day or event day. Yeah. You know, so I mean, even in June, we can have some really horrific winter conditions. You know, I think there was one year the West Highland Way was absolutely apocalyptic and do you know what if you've trained in that in the winter it's great i remember i did the spine last year um there was a japanese guy who was running quite close to me the whole time and he'd obviously just come in to do this race and i just kept thinking this poor guy has been plopped onto the the pennine way having no experience of what this is like no experience of dealing with mud and you know the Yorkshire or somewhere like that and I just thought he was amazing being able to face that having not experienced it I mean I had the unfortunate task of having a few days on the Pennine Way when I was wrecking it and as you know Paul the Pennine Way is quite a hostile place yeah. even in the summer yeah. um and in the winter it's it's not pleasant um so, but I knew that from experience that I've dealt with all those conditions and I've dealt with all the things that have been thrown up at me. You know, when your head torch runs out and your gloves get soaked and your feet are cold mm-hmm. and all those things. Um, and that's only from experience of dealing with it and training. So you just have to get out and just deal with whatever's thrown at you because um, you don't know what's going to happen on race day.
0: I mean, the West Island Wave race, for people who are not aware, takes place on the short, uh, sorry, the longest day of the year. In Scotland, usually the last weekend in June, most years, actually got cans or got um, abandoned. at seventy miles one year <clears throat> because the weather was so bad, um, heavy rain. I think they stopped at King's House. Um, so yeah, anything can happen. But I hear both of you. It's like you go, out, you, you know, you you maybe stay low instead of going in the mountains, or that's my window. I go out, but sometimes it can be that bad. You can't. I had one one occasion where it was during the Beast Furies. I dug a trench around my house. I was hoping to dig a trench that was about, I don't know, about a sixth of a mile long. Um, and got up the next morning, and, and the trench had been filled in by this overnight snow. So I, I just there was nowhere to run, um, and didn't have that opportunity. So I couldn't run that day out, outdoors. So I had to do something else. What, what if you you had that? What, what would you do? Is there something you can do at home that you've say test people on? And let's keep away from garden marathons because we'll pretend the garden wasn't good enough yeah. to run in.
1: My garden's not good enough, but I'm, even I'm not that mental. Um, I I invested in a treadmill last year, mainly because I was right. terrified we'd have to go into isolation for two weeks or something. Um, I haven't used it very often, but I know it's there as a backup. Um, doing things like Beast from the East, I'm not going to lie, I didn't even bother, um, mainly because I couldn't get out my front door. Yep. Um, but that's very extreme weather for us. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I've got my treadmill back up for this year.
0: And Paul, I'll often say to athletes, if if something like that happens that don't worry about the fact you're not losing fitness, you might be regaining fresh, freshness and we can you know, you can adapt to plan further down the line, we can just have an early deload week or we can we can move around. Is is that how you would position that as well?
2: Yeah, I mean I think firstly, there's usually something you can do at home. We've all got some kind of space in a living room or whatever, so there's a million decent videos you can find online or you'll know somebody who's maybe doing something matt from hunter fit obviously does yep. um sessions for a lot of our guys and stuff so there's quite a lot you can do with very little equipment at home that can get your heart rate moving um you know all you have to do is a few burpees if you do 20 burpees in a row you'll, you'll soon know that you're breathing quite heavily um it's not the end of the world if you can't run for that day like you said james you can change the plan it's you can move things over you can maybe then do a double run the next week or whatever. Um, And you don't necessarily have to make up for anything that you've lost either. Um, I mean, you're not radically losing fitness if you've been training consistently before that anyway, but there's usually something you can do, I would think. And even just getting out and about and shoveling snow, like I did for a couple of days, is a pretty decent workout. You feel it the next day anyway. And whilst I wasn't too upset that I wasn't running, I knew I was getting some kind of cardio and physical workout. So there's usually something you can do. I think
0: that's the sorest my arms have ever been after digging yeah. that trench I wasn't actually that unhappy not to be able to run the next day if yeah. I'm being honest with yeah. you because I couldn't, I couldn't have taken a drink to my mouth it was that sore <laughs> um, you can
1: wash your hair
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, I just dumped it in the water baby. It looked like I like was looking for apples
1: That's like um, me today after I got my booster yesterday I couldn't even take my t-shirt off this morning Oh, <laughs> oh so
0: bad. Oh god
2: yeah. I got the
1: dead arm thing uh, no. Yeah but I think during things like Beasts for the East, I mean I didn't run for a few days but I took the, the view that I've been running for the best part of 20 years and taking a few days off rather than trying to battle through something um, was probably doing me more good than uh, harm so
0: yeah, there's a fine line between sucking it up and um, staying safe which actually brings me on to my next point training in the winter can be really hard from the point of view of feeling safe so Debbie you, you're like me up early, get it done, back home you're used to running in the dark you're used to going out in the trails on your own um, you're used to being isolated um, and that's not easy for some people using a head torch I'm, I'm a bit the same as you Debbie, the idea of like hill, hill work in the winter is really hard for me because every stone is a potential basically it's a hazard it's a trip hazard um, but there's also the psychological safety of training through the winter as well and I have nowhere near the perspective you may have on it because I'm not a, I'm not a female training in some remote places or even running through the city in the dark as well um, so there's a couple of things about staying safe in terms of just not putting yourself in harm's way but there's also about feeling safe as well and I was wondering, Debbie, what's your perspective on that currently, and how's that grown over time?
1: Um. Well, it depends where I'm running. To be honest, so um, in the morning, like midweek, I run quite a lot around the town in the city. Um, and I make sure first of all I'm in well lit areas. Um, like Paul touched on, sometimes I take like the little petrol bindi because it doesn't necessarily mean all the streetlights are on. Yep. Um, and in Glasgow we have that smart lighting, which is not great at the best of times so sometimes just a little head torch is good because like you I, everything's a trip hazard and pavements become like technical trails don't they when it's dark um, and i have a history of serious calamities <laughs> um so i sometimes take a little head torch but also make sure i'm visible to traffic and other people um so i try to use something that's a little bit more high-vis rather than going out ninja style um, I do listen to music, um, or podcasts when I'm running. So, and I make sure that I've got it quite low so I can hear things. So, like noise canceling headphones are a big no no for me because I do tend to, to switch off. So I do try to stay in places that are well lit and places that I know as well. Like I travel to London. I work in the London office a week a month, and I tend to do the same routes over and over again because firstly I'm not going to get lost, um, and I know there's good lighting and there's, you know, um. The areas are really exposed, like I wouldn't run down somewhere that was really sheltered or small, narrow streets and things like that. So I go to routes that I know I feel safe in. Um, in And when training for the spine and I'm out on the hills, I purposely go to places that I don't feel comfortable with because I know I need to get used to being uncomfortable because the spine has like 16 hours of darkness a day, um, of which you'll spend the vast majority of that alone. Um, So sometimes in the winter, I go to places that I'm not. Entirely comfortable with um, But I do make sure I've got all the essential kit That we've already talked about I've got my emergency bivy I've got all my backup charges I share my location with someone So someone knows where I am at all times um, So yeah there's various things I do But sometimes it doesn't hold me back from doing things I'm, I'm not easily scared by things But I'm not entirely in- comfortable With putting myself in dark situations alone um so yeah, there's just various
0: things that I do to just make things a little bit safer and a little bit more comfortable for me. And there's a fine line, isn't there, between being reckless and training yourself to feel comfortable with that discomfort because as you say, you can't train for the spine by doing you can't train for the spine by doing 10k in your treadmill every day. You have to put yourself into some sort of specificity. So you have to get used to that discomfort. But imagine Debbie when you first started running <clears throat> The, where you're at now with being able to deal with that discomfort you've I guess you've had to train that as part of yeah, your absolutely. your career I have, yeah
1: yeah, I've made all the mistakes um I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the best way to learn things, but for me, I have learned some things that I have done wrong in the past um but yeah it's it's something I have grown to um, like through experience like learning to be a little bit more comfortable so you know people will think oh I don't want to go out in the canal in the morning because it's dark and you know I remember Marco said one of his colleagues were like do you let her do that and he was <laughs> like have you met my wife you know well, she I can imagine me. she lets <laughs> <works> me <laughs> um and it's just uh yeah, I don't. I don't feel like it's comfortable, but I always find like you know, out on the canal or out in the hills, you know, if you do bump into people, they're you know, there's a high probability they're there to get away from people the same way you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't start advising people if they were in a situation, a dangerous situation. Um, but there's things you can do to make yourself feel safer, and if something did go wrong, that you would feel a little bit more safer as well.
0: Indeed. Indeed. And it sounds to me like as well, you have to train yourself in condition, get used to it, use friends to help you. Maybe with that, I've got a bit of experience with it. But the one thing that came through in what you were describing there, Debbie, was always have a contingency, a way of contacting someone. And when you were talking about the kit earlier, a way of making sure you can stay warm um, and comfortable if you, ha- if you do have to call for help, right? Because you can get cold very quickly, especially in the cold and the dark. And Paul, what what were you any builds on what Debbie's just talked about?
2: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I I'm slightly different. I I love running in the dark. It makes it feel like an adventure for me. Even doing like an easy ten k or something in the dark. Um, when I'm in Shamani, I'll, I'll go out every night, even if it's just for a walk or whatever. Into and, and you're straight into the dark where I live. Um, onto some trails and um, yeah, I, it it's an important part of my running really. I think, but I totally understand why people are nervous about it. So, like, if you were interested and keen to maybe give it a try, then you would definitely stick to some routes that you know pretty well during the day initially, and just go and do a short run. And if you have to walk some of it, then walk some of it, and maybe see if you can sort out a meet up with a friend and go and do it as a kind of midweek mini adventure. Go and run a ten k around a local park, or I remember years ago we did one uh, at MugDock and it was just a head torture thing and I didn't. I just didn't realise there was a bunch of people came that never run in the dark before never run with a head torch and I just assumed well everybody's been out with a head torch and run but um, lots haven't and I totally understand why people are nervous about it but it can actually be another dimension to your running that makes it quite good fun. The only one thing I was thinking about there Debbie actually was what do you do if you're out and you maybe see somebody running on their own and they might be ahead of you and you're maybe going to go and pass them. I want to, I kind of want to reassure people that, listen, I'm just going past you. I don't want to give you a fright or whatever. And I never know what the right thing is to do. You kind of want to reassure people, but you don't want to give them a fright at the same time. Yeah, I
1: think in years gone by, you would start coughing, but maybe you don't want to do that now. Oh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I seem to have scare people all the time. Yeah. Um, I think I'm quite. I think you're the same as me, Paul. We're quite light on our uh-huh. feet. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes, like scaring people, especially Neds in Glasgow, is like my second favorite part of the <laughs> um, Suddenly become really paranoid. I'm chasing up behind them. Um, I I don't know. It's it's kind of like I do it on the canal as well. Yeah. So you don't want to make it sound like you take priority. Um, but, you know, I would just say good morning or hi or something before I pass them. I say hi to everyone anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what's the best way to do that. Yeah. But I think My just acknowledging is... people rather than just going bombing past would probably be a polite thing to do.
0: I like the sneaky shoe scuff, where you just scuff the shoe, well, maybe a bit from yeah. 10 metres behind, yeah, um, just to get their attention. Because you're absolutely right, though. Someone just shouting... Someone shouting at you is as their, their, their close can give, and I've given people a few frights in my time, and I, I don't enjoy it, so it's something yeah, to watch especially
1: for. in the winter, because people have got their ears covered as well, yeah. and then you can say something, but they still haven't heard yeah. you, so...
2: James, you you know, must find obviously... a tiny bit of enjoyment in it sometimes. Like, I, I must admit, I, I've enjoyed it occasionally, <laughs> running right past someone, and they get the fright of their life, because they maybe get headphones on or something, and there's nothing they could do anyway, and I need to get past them, but... Uh, yeah, maybe I'm just slightly yeah. twisted Then <laughs> I no think comment, it afterwards, like, like,
1: you both laugh about it afterwards because they've got a fright. You've uh-huh. got a fright because you frightened uh-huh. them and uh-huh. then you kind of both chuckle away, don't you?
0: Yep. So Yeah, yeah if, we were to, if we were to maybe play back some of the responses you get, you would have to get an E and a square for this podcast, wouldn't you? You know, some of those responses you get in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. I um, know.
1: I, sp- I remember some guy started shouting at me because I scared his wife. <laughs> <But> I. <laughs>
0: Back off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that scared his wife. Oh, there's a story there. Here's a question for you then, because we're talking you two are seasoned, run more miles in the dark than most people will ever run in their lives already. But there was a first time. Um, how, how, how did it feel that first time you were on your own, on a trail or on a towpath, in the dark with a head torch? Can you remember that? David.
1: <laughs> no, no literally cannot remember it. um it must have been a first time um i would have to make something up James. so i'm gonna like pass that one over to paul i guess it's sure, his memory yeah, better than mine
2: <laughs> i guess it depends where you're running I, I most people will run in the dark they'll run from their house initially so they're running under street lights which gives you a kind of sense of it running somewhere completely dark just with a head torch is different um, so I guess I probably did loads of early morning training runs. I didn't really need a head torch and ran around the streets at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and then, yeah, it was probably something like on the West Highland Way was probably the first time. And it, it, yeah, to, too, to me, yeah. it, it probably feel, it felt quite liberating. I thought, this is really cool. It's like I can run at any time now. Um, I can see where I'm going. It's not that difficult to follow an established trail like that at night because it lights up pretty well um so i guess I, i probably felt pretty good about it it's different sometimes i guess when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you might be i don't know on the cape wrath trail or whatever and there's no sign of a trail and you're just trying to pick out some kind of features even now that can be quite challenging i don't really get stressed about it um but it does add another dimension that you have to be aware of the fact that you're a wee bit exposed if you go the wrong way or you don't quite know where you are or, I don't know, you you weren't able to navigate, your watch ran out or whatever.
1: I think for me, like the only time that, it wasn't until I started training for the spine was the only time I put myself in situations in the dark where I had to navigate in a place that I'd never been before, whereas before, I'd always, by anything on the trail, I knew the trail or anything in the dark I knew the trail really well or it was street lit, I wouldn't put myself out somewhere that I hadn't been before and navigate in the dark. That's not something I would I would have done before.
2: Yeah, the navigation um, bit's but no, definitely definitely tricky.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't see the point in going somewhere new and not being able to see it. Um, hmm. I know Paul likes enjoying running in the dark, but although I do it, uh, and I'm fine with it, um, I, I prefer to see where yeah. I'm going. Yeah. Um, so if I'm up in the hill or out in a trailer, I want to see the views. I'm all about the views. I love it. So. We've already
0: established, Debbie, that Pauls are nocturnal. Say this to like scaring people. Um, so far, <laughs> this, this is what, <laughs> this is what we've worked out here. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, but uh, <laughs> no worries. We can make that the we can make that the the title of the podcast. But yeah. but in all seriousness, I guess I guess what you're saying there is, is you ease yourself into it, because you know you do that street light running, you get used to navigating and running in the dark. I think something Debbie talked about earlier on, which is really important, is, is you make sure you're seen, because um, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I get frustrated driving down the street and you see someone with the, the dark gear on running along the road and you think, you know, you, you're you're actually putting others at risk as well as yourself. Mm. Um, and then you can start to, um, I guess you can start to build up that comfort with running in a wee bit more dark. So you might run on roads, but there's no lights, but your head torch gives you the light. And then you can start to move on to trail because I think there's two things with trail running in the dark. There's obviously what you've just described, Paul, about the comfort of the trail. A well-established trail, not really much a problem. But you can maybe hit some navigation issues, which the th- first thing you should always do is, is just retrace your steps steps, and find somewhere you, you were comfortable with. But you're just moving through those levels of comfort, both with the terrain you're running in, but also what you can see, what you can visualise and what you can, what you can use. And I, and the reason I was asking what your first time you ran in the dark, I was reflecting on my first time I ran in the dark. And um, and when I say in the dark, sorry, I mean off-road, needing a head torch to, to run. And the feeling of liberation, the word you used earlier, Paul, was incredible. But the fear I had as well, because I'd never done it before, and everything had eyes. Mm-hmm. Everything had eyes. um. But you very quickly get used to that, whereas now I, I'll think nothing about being on the trails or in the dark with the headphones on and the music on full bung. And I remember running away with Davey Gown, West Highland Way in 2016 race, and he was listening to some sort of death metal thing in the race. And I couldn't imagine why you would, how you could feel comfortable doing that. But I, I guess the point is for anyone listening who's feeling apprehensive about it, it's actually about easing yourself in and building up that level of comfort. And don't worry about the fact that you might not feel comfortable to do 200 miles on the Cape Wrath Trail today because that comes through time, but you have to just incrementally stretch your comfort zone in order to be ready to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you you can't just jump straight into it because there's so much more to it than just putting a head torch on and starting to follow your nose. Really interesting stuff on that in terms of um, staying safe. Um, And I suppose there's a lot we could talk about that in terms of more and more hints and tips, but the big things are be seen, be have, have a contingency plan, and have a an idea of where you're going and where you're, you know your 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 ways in and out of the trails or in and out of the roads you're going on. Ne- next thing I wanted to talk about was racing in the winter, and we've touched upon, Debbie doing the spine, which I think is as extreme as you can get when it comes to racing in the winter. Um, well, it it really is in terms of the the UK, um, the two hundred and sixty-eight miles on the Penning Way. In the early part of January it could throw anything at you but whatever it throws at you is just what level of misery it would be um, but a lot of people don't race through the winter do you see the winter period if you're if you're someone who's competitive or someone who wants to do well in the coming year do you see it as being a good thing for people to back off of racing and use the winter period as you were describing earlier Paul as a, an area to improve or, or maybe get better at a certain aspect of your running or do you think there's
2: value to racing through the winter period? It just depends on the on the individual. For somebody like Debbie, who absolutely loves the sport and has committed many many years to consistently train, like it it it's been a huge part of her life. Clearly, then an opportunity to do an iconic race like that and really challenge yourself and it's a different type of race. Probably as Debbie alluded to there, she maybe felt like she wasn't racing at times. It was just a head versus a heart and going out there it is a huge opportunity for, for adventure so I'm, I'm assuming i'm talking for you at the moment debbie you can talk in a minute but i'm assuming like the the adventure side of that is a big part of it so for some people um racing in the winter isn't a bad thing it's a good thing and um, because it's just it's just, it's like a, doing a very different type of race it's almost like a different sport in some ways Um, because there's lots of other things you have to think about and be prepared for Um, but also this is a good period like I was talking about earlier to back off a little bit and not feel the same pressure that you normally feel that you've got 12 weeks to go I've got 10 weeks to go I've got 8 weeks to go and I should have run 50k by now I should have done this and actually that's why it can be a really enjoyable period for me uh, because you get that chance to switch off a little bit and just remember why you enjoy being out there and running and like... If you want to be an ultra runner and you want to run well and you live in the UK, you're going to have to run in bad weather. It's just part of the sport. So you've got to learn to try and enjoy that or enjoy it whilst you're out there and enjoy it when you get back in again. Because actually some of those long training runs you do in winter when it's been miserable and you've been blown off a hill and freezing cold and your toes were freezing and you couldn't move your hands and you couldn't press a button to get back into your car because your hands were frozen, <laughs> all that. So see when you're sitting on a Saturday night back at home and I don't know if you watch Strictly Come Dancing or whatever it is people watch, but um, you can feel pretty pretty pleased with yourself when you've got pizza in front of you and whatever and you think, I actually achieved something today, you know, it was, it was tough, I got myself up there and I got myself back down safely and I feel good about it. So um, for me, it can be a really enjoyable part of your training uh, winter
0: and what about you debbie you um you do a lot of racing through the winter do you do you enjoy it
1: um well i don't really do a lot of race i I suppose i was thinking cross country stuff as well yeah i mean i don't know it depends what kind of runner you are i think like ultra runners might not do an awful lot of racing during the winter but you know if you're like a marathon runner or you know a 50k runner then you might switch up and do the shorter stuff um but yeah, I have been known to dabble in a bit across country, but as I say, I do that more for the social aspect. But other than up until training for the spine, I probably didn't do an awful lot during the winter. Um, yeah, I mean, doing the spine is, it kind of wrecks you until at least spring, so it's not necessarily a good thing to do for training because it can knock you for six for about three months, um, which has a knock-on effect on the rest of the year. Um, but I think, you know, if, Future years I probably will look at doing some shorter stuff in the winter, especially, you know, if you're training for like a spring marathon, doing all those part runs and cross countries and turkey trots and whatever they are then I mean, that's they are brilliant races if you're leading up to, to the marathon.
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um Cross Country Respine, Debbie, which one's more misery?
1: have a wee think about that one. yeah okay. <laughs> um, i don't know obviously cross country is like super sharp and but it puts you in a, a really uh an effort level that nobody's ever really used to um, yeah. i know people who like live for cross country and are, take it really really seriously and um, i don't take it that seriously um i'm not gonna lie um but i am quite lazy by nature i think that's why i like <laughs> doing things like the spine because i can just walk for a long time um so uh like things like parkrun absolutely terrify me because you know you're just going to get scalped by an eight-year-old <laughs> um and it's that that you know that rising like you're going to vomit at the end of the the end of the, the finish line it's those yeah. Uh, yeah you know that state you get yourself and you think i'm just i can't get to the finish line without vomiting here
0: yeah um, there's a there's a, a a nice there's a nice hate feeling with that type of thing brilliant listen i only have one more question and then we we can wrap up with any final thoughts from you guys is of course we do train through the winter and we make it we make our best effort to make sure that we can get out and stay consistent as paul talked about earlier build that base but sometimes we might be training through the winter for a race that's in very different climatic conditions so we could be living in the northern hemisphere but training for something that's going to be really really warm like for example we've seen it we've seen it with people from Scotland they go to the london marathon and they get toasted um paul you you you've made that transition in the past um where you've trained you know you've been training in the northern hemisphere and then you've had to go and run um races in warm and humid conditions what can i do to prepare for that while i'm training through the winter
2: yeah i mean it it, it depends on on the race the length of the race how hot it's going to be it, things like humidity can have an impact as well. But um saunas work really well for that. There's a particular protocol you can use. It's I found was really effective. Um it's a good way to increase your blood plasma levels and um to better understand that your thermal regulation points and uh, I believe it changes that so you actually start to sweat a bit sooner when it gets warm and stuff which help ultimately helps to keep you cooler um, and it's worked really well for me uh at things like Western States um, for, I don't know, a number of years and it's it's a hot race at times, it can be really hot in the canyons so um, that that's worked really well for me in the past and if anybody wanted to know any more about what I did with that then just give me a shout and I'll happily... Uh, talk you through it. Um, I've seen some chat about if you can't get to a sauna after you've trained hot baths can help and stuff. I don't know if there's any science behind it or not. I haven't really seen any evidence but I've heard anecdotally that that can be a half decent alternative but um, the sauna thing is very uncomfortable to do. Um, You generally do it after you've trained and then you don't um, rehydrate immediately after which is pretty uh, uncomfortable so it's not really suitable for everyone if you're going back to work or something like that you tend to get very sleepy and um and miserable for a period and grumpy so yeah yeah it's not for everyone
1: i'm a a big fan of the the sauna training as well um actually i had a conversation with paul before i did sportathlon Mm. um and we did i did quite a lot of uh, sauna i went through to heat chamber a few times as well Mm. and uh, to run on a treadmill but i thought sauna was way more beneficial I like the idea of just going for a hot bath, so that sounds way more pleasant yeah. than dropping a, dropping a stone in a sauna, um, and uh, it's when you come out of that sauna, it's that whole thing where you just can't get dry for the whole day, because you sweat and dry and sweat and dry yeah. and you yeah, forever that. to get your work clothes on, um, and I go a really weird purple colour <laughs> as well when I'm warm. Um, But yeah, the sauna training, um, even things like, uh, I've done Trans-Gran Canaria twice, and that's in February, and obviously in Gran Canaria. Uh, It's not overly hot, it's like mid-twenties, but if you are Scottish, that's like... Mm -hmm. close to death. (laughs) Yeah, it's like uh, very, very warm. So um, even training for things like that, because there's a lot of um, steep climbs, and in the winter in Scotland, it's kind of hard to go up quite high and replicate Mm -hmm what you experienced experience in Grand Canyon. So I did, you know, a lot of reps of like a thousand foot hill and stuff so that I could just practice going up and down hills. And I did some sauna stuff as well, which helped me adapt to some of the heat before I got there. So yeah, yeah. there's various ways around it.
0: That, that's really interesting as well, Debbie, because I was thinking about the climatic conditions, but actually what you, what you touched on there as well is, is sometimes you can't replicate the ascents and the descents purely because of the practical nature of it. <clears throat> And I'm I'm sure both of you have had that experience as well, where you've had to do things like multiple sharp ascents and descents to get the quads conditioned, because you can't do a four thousand foot climb in Scotland in December yeah. Well, you could. But yeah. I don't think going up the bend in December and repeating that would be enjoyable for you or mountain rescue too often. So yeah, it's it's, re- it's really good points. Not just how you feel, but also how you how you condition.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: Wow. I mean, we could talk a lot about this subject and go deeper in some of the, the, the facets that we, we've we talked through. And I'm sure if there's people listening, maybe if they've got any questions they want to ask, they can they can at both of you on social media. They can at me if they want, but I wouldn't do half the stuff you two do. So I'll just be deferring to you. Like everything I've listened to here just makes me want to. Well, I'm going to do hill reps after this and the hills about two <laughs> mi- two minutes long. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a climb. Um, So the stuff you two do and why we spoke to you two about this particular subject today is both mind-boggling, but you're deep in the experience of that. So for anyone listening out there, please just at Pylon or ultra dmc it is is it ultra underscore dmc i can never remember ultra
1: run dmc ultra
0: run dmc of course run dmc uh-huh. yeah yeah uh like that and that's the way it is for anyone listening um so it's been really really brilliant to hear you hear you talk this stuff through it's only an hour long so it's not going to cover every single facet we may revisit it in some future conversations who knows but any last thoughts or any last hints or tips from you debbie uh hey,
1: no covered off all the meta topics
2: all the meta topics love it paul i was going to ask you both actually very quickly top of your head what's the best piece of running advice you can remember and you probably had loads of advice over the years that you can't remember but is there one small thing that you can remember that stuck with you
1: i i will jump in first i remember someone said to me dress for mile two And I I always think that's the best bit of advice. Yet, every single time in the winter, I'm always running about with something tied around my waist. (laughs) (laughs) Because Mm, I cannot commit to going out without some kind of waterproof jacket or a long sleeve, especially if I'm running about town. and I've always got something tied around my waist. So, dress for mile two.
0: You know, and you say that, Debbie, I am the opposite. I dress for mile zero. I I don't (laughs) know if you remember, Paul, I was doing... um, when we done the first Endeavour, um, and I turned up at Tindrum and I was running to Bridget Orkey in short shorts and a vest. <laughs> and it was like I well, I don't know, about ten o'clock at night in November, and everybody's face was like I was like, Well, I'm racing. You know, I had that racing mentality. And I'm the opposite of you, Debbie, so I should dress for mile two, but um sometimes <laughs> I, I forget to do that. Um, best bit of advice I had actually, it's kind of got similar um connotations in terms of how the advice came through and the language of it was in a marathon. When you're in mile three, think about mile 23. So, just because you're feeling good then, don't blow it all now. Save some of that for, for the last 5k. Um, and it took me about, for context, for anyone listening, you might not believe us, I think it took me 11 marathons to rub sub four. <laughs> because I just had no idea how to train or any idea how to pace it. So I just used to go out and blow myself up and then not, not realise how managing effort became a really crucial part of racing. So you know at mile three or yeah think about mile 23 at mile three was a, just a way of kind of grounding yourself in the, the, the long game nice
2: nice one james cool
1: and paul what was your best bit
2: of running advice? i don't have any <laughs> that's oh, why i asked the question <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting just now Debbie
0: going, Why haven't they talked about the advice I've given them? <laughs> no, no, no. Not not a single piece
2: no. is cut through in all these years. No, ago. I
1: always remember I always remember the one of the ones that Paul sent and uh you were talk there was an email and you were talking about the story about the guy who was up Everest and he was complaining he was feeling really sick. <laughs> And there was no air, and he was moaning and moaning and moaning, and then after a couple of days, son, the medics turned around from him and says, "It's effing Everest. There's no air. If you want air, climb a smaller mountain." Yep. And sometimes I always think, you know, what? I don't want to climb a smaller mountain, but <laughs> exactly. I'm miserable, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just suck it up. That's a good. So one they were. Remember. That was your best bit of advice. All
2: yeah. right, I like that. Must do better.
1: Paul said it in a much more elaborate way. And it was a nice little
2: story. I've just given you the top line summary. Yeah, e- eloquent would have been a better word, but I'll take elaborate. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that
1: was probably
2: the word I was thinking
0: of. Oh, definitely the word I was thinking. Well, let's eloquently bring this <laughs> conversation to a close with no further elaboration on the topics <laughs> we've talked about. Debbie, thank you so much for being the rose between Paul and two thorns. Yeah.
1: It's nice to hang out with you guys for an hour and shoot the breeze.
0: Thanks, Debbie. Really Talk appreciate it. Talk
1: about thanks
0: guys and I think one last request for Debbie we got a bit of feedback last week on the the podcast Paul I'm not sure if you get the feedback but we used to end the podcast by saying boom we kind of fell away from that Paul as we have got out of practice Mm. so why don't we have a celebrity guest boom to end the podcast for this
2: week Debbie take us out boom nice All right, cool are we done We recorded that episode just before Christmas so I hope you had a lovely time and managed to spend some of it with the people that really matter in your life and you're already feeling positive about the chance to reset and start a brand new year. A new year can be a great opportunity to reflect on some of the things that brought you success, happiness or a sense of achievement but more importantly it's a great time to set up some clear goals for the next 12 months. Just be very conscious that you focus on the right things The stuff that's really important to you, the individual, not stuff you're doing because you think it might make you happy or will make you feel more accepted by others. I've seen a lot of those end of year posts on social media, you know the ones. Here's a reminder of everything I achieved last year. It could be worthwhile digging deeper and asking yourself why you're really making posts like that. And I'm sure in many cases there might be better ways to work towards an even more satisfying year ahead. One thing I recently reminded the athletes we work with was that most of us carry around this belief that there is this life beyond our own where everything is easy and light and there are no issues for us to resolve. I'm not entirely sure why we carry that belief around with us. I don't think it's very helpful at all. However, good you think your situation could be a better job, more money, more friends, happier family we need to accept that there's never a time when life will be entirely problem free. We often cause ourselves more suffering when we allow our focus to drift and get absorbed in the why did this have to happen mentality along the way. The good bit of climbing a mountain is standing on top and that's likely to be less than five percent of the total time you spend going up it so maybe we can take a bit more enjoyment from working towards the goals rather than just the outcomes and we'll welcome the challenges along the way. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll join us again sometime soon. Cheers.